0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: Hello, Leute, Good morning and welcome. On today's breakfast show, we are talking all things German. We are celebrating National German Language Day today. A very good morning to you all and welcome to the Saturday Breakfast Show today. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am on location this morning. I have come to a school, local to me, where I will be meeting today with their head of German as we celebrate National German Language Day and as we speak about why German is a a very useful language for a learner to have. Um, Because I'm on location, there are a couple of, of slight Changes to the show today. Some some things that we're doing a little bit differently. Um, so be aware that as I am in a school right now, the bell will probably ring at some point. So I'm just preparing you for that. This is also an independent school that I am in today, and so there are lessons going on around me. For that reason, I will not be taking um, I will not be taking calls today. Uh, I feel that because we cannot screen the calls before they come through for safeguarding purposes, as there are children around who shouldn't be an earshot but you never know, um, I do not want to take that risk today I'm sure, dear listeners, you understand. However, you can still text in, Uh, I am very welcome to receive your text today, you can do that via the Podbean app. Alternatively, um, you can tweet me, I am at Mr D Lester, all one word, I will be more than happy to take your questions and comments about German today. You can interact with us in English or in German, whichever you so wish, and I will make sure that we provide English translations for those of you who do not speak German. So that's the plan today. We are, we are celebrating all things German um, in order to celebrate National German Language Day and, and the, the teaching and learning of German in schools in the UK. But of course, it does feel a bit strange to be celebrating anything at the moment. And I think I would be remiss if I did not take a moment to mark the passing of Her Royal Highness Queen Elizabeth II. Um, The the news has been full of of tributes and information and has done a a much better job at marking her life than, than I possibly could and so I won't attempt to do that. What I will say is, um, well I'll say a couple of things, first of all a couple of weeks ago when we, we marked the passing of Raymond Briggs I talked about how important it was to me that he engaged with me that uh, that I had, that I thought to send him fan mail um, I didn't quite get that geeky about the Queen um, although I did, I did respect the Queen very very much um, we do have family history with the royal family one of those things where i'm not entirely sure how true it is that stories are are told so i grew up kind of respecting the queen very much in in my family and so to 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 see her pass was was very sad because she was a constant you know i heard uh, my grandfather told stories um she was she was always on the news, she was always in the newspapers, and even down to, to everyday life things like a letter comes through your letterbox and there she is on the stamp. You go to buy a magazine and there she is on the £5 note that you're handing over. Um, she has been for, for 70 years a very much ingrained part of British life and and that's something that we've lost and I find it very interesting that so many people have been remarking on the fact that they've been shocked by how they've been affected by her loss. And and I saw an interesting analysis about that um, yesterday. Uh, uh, Forgive me, I forget who tweeted it. If I can find the tweet, I will retweet it later. Um, But uh, but the the person pointed out that Britain is a country that prides itself on being calm, being steady, you know, the, the keep calm and carry on merchandise. That, uh, that you could get everywhere a few years ago kind of encapsulates the British mentality. We've seen today with, um, with the football deciding to be canceled, um, people are saying, well, you know, surely sports should be carrying on. The rest of us are carrying on. The rest of us are at work. Um, you know, in the school that I'm currently in, the teachers are here, the students are here. And so, you know, why is why is football being canceled? We have that carry on mentality. And it seems strange to us that this woman has carried on for 70 years through some, some atrocious things, you know, lots of, lots of personal um, personal tragedies she has suffered, but she has carried on and now she's gone. And it reminds us that Britain prides itself on being a country, of steadfastness, it prides itself on being a country of carrying on, but sometimes there is an unshakable change that we might know is coming, you know, uh, with with all due respect to Her Majesty, the Queen has been an older lady for my entire life, I'm I'm 37. Um, And so I've always known her as kind of being my grandparents age. And so even though intellectually you know at some point a life will end it's very hard to very hard to process that and as as boris johnson said in his speech you have that childlike idea that she will just be around forever um this is this is really stupid of of me but it it didn't occur to me that the telegram that i might receive if i'm lucky enough to turn 100 could never come from her um, you know, it was always you turn 100 and you get the telegram from the Queen and it's like, well, I won't. Any of us who are aged 99 or under at this point will not, we will get a telegram from the King. And in my case, because um, Prince William is is a few years older than me, it's likely to be George who sends me my telegram. Uh, so it's all of these things that you kind of take for granted and and you live steadfastly by and suddenly they're gone. And that can be an upheaval. So I am going to suggest to to all of my listeners that you take the time that you need to process your feelings. As I said over the passing of Raymond Briggs, it it's not silly to mourn the death of a public figure because they are parts of our lives. We do we do follow them with interest, um, even if we don't realise that's what we're doing, and when they are gone that is worth mourning in the same way that you might mourn anybody else. Um, There is, I saw a tweet earlier that I've actually retweeted, there will be talks on the BBC about how to talk about grief with children Um, and I think that's really really important. I know lots of schools have done assemblies yesterday, Um, lots of schools will be doing assemblies and CPSHE on this over the coming days and weeks. Um, I would like to make a recommendation. You know, fans of the show will know that here at, uh, at Saturday Breakfast we are big fans of children's literature, big fans of picture books. Um, if you have not heard my interview with Tim Hughes, um, a children's literature specialist from a few weeks ago, please do go back and listen to that because it's a very, a very interesting conversation. Um, I would like to put forward my recommendation, which actually was a book that I was told to use to teach children about grief um, back when i was a primary school teacher because death and grief at that time i don't know if it still is because it's been a long time since i've taught primary rs but death and grief at that time were on the um the year four syllabus for our sacre and the book that we were encouraged to use is called badger's parting gifts and it's by susan varley now badger's parting Gifts is not a book for those of you who are um uh, who find animal death traumatizing i will be very honest about that because it does deal with this main character badger who does pass away and he leaves gifts to all of his friends he leaves these parting gifts to the other animals and the book deals with the book discusses how the animals how his friends take the gifts and they use those not necessarily as memento mori but as souvenirs of his life to remember their friend to celebrate their friend it doesn't shy away from the fact that death is sad it makes it very clear that death is permanent um, as as far as we are aware I'm, I'm this is not the space to get into religious musings on death um and it, and it does it in a way that is um, comprehensible to children and in a way that is accessible. So if you are dealing with grief in a family, as a family um, or as a teacher and doing so with young children I do highly highly recommend recommend that book but please do as always please do read the book first before you share it with children um, because you may feel that for your school setting, for your family, it may not be appropriate. So, as always, you know, use your best judgment when you are choosing resources. It is very unfortunate that we have we have lost the Queen. And I'm sure as as we go through the next few weeks, the the, the 10, 12 days leading up to the funeral, and then into King Charles's reign proper. We will, we will be finding all sorts of things out about ourselves because we are living through traumatic incident after traumatic incident. I said to a, a teacher friend of mine yesterday, I am quite tired now of living through history. I quite enjoy history being in a book that I can learn from instead of learn through. But we are, we are living through this tumultuous time. And so do take care of yourself. As you will know, if you've heard my past few shows, I've really been focusing lately on teacher well-being and making sure that you are okay. Because as teachers, we spend a lot of time making sure that our students are okay, and we rightly should do that. These students are in our care, we are safeguarding them. But we must also safeguard ourselves and each other. So do make sure that you are checking in with your own mental health, that you are checking in with your own physical health. We've stopped, I said this to another colleague of mine the other day, we seem to have stopped asking each other how we are now. During um, the, the height of the pandemic, that was how every conversation with anybody started. How are you? Are you well? And we've stopped doing that. And I think that's a shame because even when we are not living through historical events, it's good to check in, it's important to check in. And so while it is difficult to do lots of emotional labour, let's not pretend that it's not, it is worth checking in with your friends, checking in with your colleagues, checking in with yourself to make sure that you're okay. And that applies to teachers and non-teachers in the audience. Anybody who is listening to this, please take some time over this weekend or over the coming week to do something for you. I'm not, of course, advocating a hedonistic lifestyle. Um, I may be a classicist, but I'm not going to go that far. We don't need to be decadent. We don't need to be indulgent. But buy the book that you want to buy. Or if your budget doesn't stretch to that, go to the library and find something fun to read. Make yourself something interesting for dinner one evening or order in a takeaway. If you're tired of cooking. It can be very small things that make a difference. You don't need to make a huge life change. I, at the weekend, was looking at um, at houses on Shetland. Um, Google Maps told me it will be a 27 and a half hour commute to work. Uh, I don't drive, so that's gonna be ever so much longer. Um, but you don't need to make that kind of massive life change. Do, if that's what you want to do but you don't have to, small things actually make a difference. And it tends to be the small things that make the bigger difference, in my opinion, because it's the small things that help us to get through the day. It's the small things that make the difficulties a little bit more bearable. And so do those small things to look after yourself. Please, as a favour to me, you know, if you feel bad about doing something for yourself, then just think: Oh, Darren really wants me to do this. Darren really wants me to read this book. He really wants me to to make this meal. So I'm going to do that for him because I am a selfless person. Okay, I don't mind. I don't mind, as long as it doesn't put you into debt. Because I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to take responsibility for that or for anything illegal. Okay, <laughs> but do treat yourself. Please do treat yourself. Um, we are going to go to the news in a couple of minutes, which is also about the Queen. Before we do that, I would like to remind you about our friends at Witherslap Group. Witherslap Group are a leading provider of specialist education and care. They need people like you to help them achieve even more. At Witherslap, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. Witherslack currently has some fantastic career opportunities available to apply for, so please check out witherslackgroup.co.uk forward
0: slash careers. Thank you very much. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
2: Following the death of Queen Elizabeth II, the Department for Education has issued guidance for schools. The period of national mourning will continue until the state funeral, but the guidance makes it clear that schools should remain open during this time. Ofsted reports are paused, but inspections will go ahead. The update suggests that schools may want to consider conducting special activities, holding assemblies, or adapting lessons to commemorate the life of Her Majesty. Whilst no official date has yet been set for the state funeral, many media outlets are suggesting Monday, September the 19th as a possible date. There is also speculation around whether the state funeral proceedings would be classed as a public holiday, something which would affect school's opening. Schools and other education settings across all four of the home nations have been involved in many events recognising the late Queen's 70 years of service to the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth with many media outlets carrying details of how her passing has been acknowledged by young people across all areas. England's Secretary of State for Education Kit Malthouse acknowledged Her Majesty's devotion to public service. Northern Ireland's Michelle McKilveen referred to Her Majesty as a champion of education and an impeccable role model for children and young people and someone who will be missed immeasurably. The last public appearance of the Queen was on Tuesday the 6th of September when she appointed Liz Truss as Prime Minister. The new Prime Minister made Cabinet announcements including the appointment of Kit Malthouse as Secretary of State for Education. Mr Malthouse replaces James Cleverly in a year that has seen many Ministers take up and then leave the role. Mr Malthouse was first elected in 2015 and is the MP for North West Hampshire. His previous experience has been with the Home Office and the Ministry of Justice. He studied politics and economics at Newcastle University and is a qualified chartered accountant. Mr Malthouse is married and has three children. After a year of turmoil, Mr Malthouse is likely to need to promote stability as quickly as possible within his department, while also taking steps to address the school funding crisis and issues brought about by further concerns around the cost of living. This has been Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech
3: briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello! This week, if you haven't already gone, it's time to return to school. So, what tech advice do I have for you? This episode is aimed more at teachers newer to the profession, but there may also be something for those with more experience here too. Here are my top tips for returning to or starting a new school. First up, put your name on your power lead especially if your school uses the same laptops for lots of teachers. It's so easy to leave your power lead behind and then find it's been taken by someone thinking it's theirs. When moving between rooms, always close your laptop lid and remove power leads and USB drives. This can be a pain, but impact on a USB drive sticking out while in transit can stop the port working. Same goes for a power port. Modern computers are incredibly tricky to fix if these ports are damaged, and therefore, that will be the end of your laptop. If you're using USB drives, start moving into the cloud. If your school hasn't already banned them, They will be considering it due to the increased risk of viruses posed by using them. Always start your information management system as soon as you arrive. This is the software you take your register on. Don't leave it until it's time to take the register. This software updates regularly and can sometimes take a while, especially after a break when technicians have had the time to maintain your school system. Finally, one of my favourite shortcuts. If you don't know this, feel free to let me know. I've changed your life. If you organise your internet bookmarks into folders, you can right-click on the folder and select Open All. This will open all of the web pages you'll be using in a lesson, saving you time and also making sure everything is loaded and ready to go. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. As we return to work, why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods. and that. Was two minute tech.
0: Two minute tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Steve, you have changed my life. Um, I did not know about that uh, that bookmark uh, hack. So that's very, very good to know. Particularly if you're using um, lots of lots of web pages in one lesson. Um, just bookmark them all together in a folder. that right click, open all and they're there ready for you. I will definitely, definitely be trying that on Monday so thank you very much. As I said at the top of the show just in case you are joining us now, I am on location today. Um, I am at an independent school in Gloucestershire where I will be joined just as soon as she has finished teaching by Nadia Stevens-Makesh who is the head of German here because we are celebrating German Language Day today. Um, I am a German speaker. Those of you who are fans of the show, friends of the show, will know that I am a linguist by trade. Um, I am an NFL teacher and and a classics teacher. Um, I have nine languages altogether, of which German is one. Um, I will be honest, German is not a language that I ever set out to study. Um, I, like most people, uh, in England at least, started with French. I actually started with French a little bit earlier than my peers. Um, I've told this story so often, I, I don't remember where, so I'm sorry if I've told this story on the show before, and I'm sure I'll tell it again, um, but I vividly remember being four years old and my mum giving me a, a book. It was called Fun to Learn French, and it was the first time that I had ever encountered the fact that there were languages other than English, or um, well, the first time I'd ever processed it. and. It, it fascinated me straight away. And and the, the word that I remember, the very first word that I remember learning was la porte, door. And I remember being so mind-blown by the fact that I called a door a door. But Darren in France, whoever that little boy might have been, will be sitting there calling a door la porte. And it was exactly the same thing. A door is a door is a door. But to me, it was door, and to him, it was Laporte, And, and I, I was suddenly like, does, does that actually mean that it's a door? You know, Shakespeare said, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. I suppose a door by any other name would keep the marauders out. But how, did, how does that affect, how does the word for door affect how we see it? So four-year-old Darren had his mind blown that day (laughs) and and, and I did French and kind of throughout primary school, this was before MFL was on the primary school national curriculum, a long time before MFL was on the primary school national curriculum, Um, so throughout primary school I, I read this book and I read as many books about French as I could get my hands on and I started becoming aware that there were other languages, that other countries had other languages. Um, I went to school. I went to a a local state comprehensive school, just around the corner from me for year seven, and we did French. Um, I was ahead of my class, having having had exposure to French for, for ever such a long time at that point, and that was really good. And then we did that throughout year seven, and in year eight, we had a lesson that was called, I think it was called Activities. I'm sure the lesson was called Activities. And during that time, for six months, we did media studies. And for six months, we did German. Um, and I, I loved German. It, it was at that point, when I started studying German, that I realized that languages were something in which I was interested. Once again, I learned that, that I called Adore, Adore. French Darren called Adore, La Porte and German Darren was now using the word tour and so again same thing but each of those versions of Darren, whoever they might be, I I, I was quite a self-centred child to be honest, everything was filtered through me, <laughs> <laughs> whoever those people might be they were using these different words and, and I loved it and I loved it so then i went into year nine and in year nine we had the option to choose between um media studies or german so we had that taster in year eight and then we got to choose so i chose german um then i went through into year 10 we did our gcse options i was the only student to try and be a dual linguist i was the only one who wanted to do french and german um so Because of that they couldn't timetable it. So I ended up doing French in lessons and I did German outside of lessons. And the reason that... actually, now that I think about it, I've just had a revelation. I thought that I chose that. I thought that I had chosen to do French in class but German off timetable, but actually I couldn't have done. I must have been told to do it that way around because nobody else had chosen German. And we all know what budgets in school are like, nobody was going to allow a lesson with one person in it to run. That was just not to my confidence because I thought I had made life choices and I clearly didn't. Um, Romantico, I'm glad that you wanted to call in. I had thought that I turned calling off. I'm just going to say again, um, I am not going to take calls today for safeguarding reasons. I am in a school right now and because we cannot screen calls, Um, I don't want them to be playing over the speaker today. Uh, There are no children around right now, and I don't expect it to be overheard, but I'm sure you all appreciate uh, that that decision that I have made today. Um, So anyway, I carried on. I learned learned German off timetable, and uh, I learned learned French on timetable. Uh, I went through, I got A stars in both languages, and I ultimately went on to to do French and German both for A level. So German, I kind of learned, I want to say by accident, because it was the only other language that was on offer. It was the only other language that, uh, that my school offered at that time. Uh, now, looking back, I realise how lucky I was to have been offered that because the school now, I still keep in touch with the school. I, I go and do some outreach work there occasionally. Um, and the school now is only teaching French because budgets for languages are being cut, entries for languages in general are falling and so schools are making that decision to to streamline the languages that are on offer, which which is very, very sad. So that's kind of my German German background. Um, I now, like I said, I teach German. Uh, I generally teach German to A-level. Um, although this year I'm only teaching to Key Stage 3, which is quite nice. I actually really like teaching the beginners because it's where you kind of get into the meat of the language for German, Uh, so I'm enjoying myself teaching Key Stage 3. But I've got some facts. For those of you who are not Germanists and those of you who are not linguists, um, there is an interesting article by Fluentum, the um, the language and culture blog. I will link this later. Um, it is written, just so that I am citing my sources correctly, it is written by Ramona Brown-Monsauer. Now Ramona, I'm very sorry if I have mispronounced your name, I do apologize for that. Ramona is a writer and ESL teacher, in fact, and she's put together these seven interesting facts, them um, well, seven fun facts about German that will speak any language learner's curiosity. Um, And I'm just going to kind of take some of my favourites from this. So the very first one, and one that I think is very, very important, is that German is in fact the most common native language in the European Union. Uh, There are more than 100 million native speakers of German, which makes it the most common natively spoken language in the EU. And there is a push to make German one of the working languages of the EU. The fact that it's so common is is not at all a surprise. It's the official language, and in fact I, I believe it's the only official language of Germany, Austria and Liechtenstein, and then it's an official language in Switzerland, Belgium and Luxembourg. It's also ranked as a high minority language, that might seem like an oxymoron, but in terms of minority language communities it's one of the biggest in Poland, Denmark, Italy, and Hungary. So, what's that? Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten individual countries in the EU alone where German is a very commonly spoken language. German writing does get overhauled. Um, I'm going to say quite regularly because I've been affected personally by both. Of the recent overhauls of the German writing system. Um, German changed its, German had a spelling reform in both 1998 and again in 2006. So you know since 1998 was the year that I began learning German um, and then by 2006 I was, I was just finishing up my degree um, in 2006 so I have been affected by both. <laughs> um, And the the reasoning behind this, and and I do understand why, was to standardise spelling and punctuation across German-speaking countries. Because very much like the difference between British English and American English, there are differences between German that is spoken between the German countries. And even, to be honest, within the same German country. Um, The German spoken in the north of Germany can often be quite different to the German-spoken in the south. Usually that's just a phonetic difference, it's a, it's a case of accent or pronunciation, uh, but sometimes that can affect spelling because as I read in my master's course this week, I started my master's degree, uh, my second master's degree, on, on Tuesday. I am very proud of myself for starting that. But one of the, one of the points that was made, it was that Writing is just a way to record speaking. And so if you've got different accents, if you have got different dialects, then the spelling system is going to be different because the way that you vocalise those sounds and the way that you think letters associate with different syllables is going to affect the way that you try and write that down. And so the, the German spelling reforms have attempted to um, standardise that across the German dialects and across the German regions. So for those of you who might not be too familiar with the spelling changes, but who but who um, are German speakers, um, some of the main changes that have occurred have been with capitalization, uh, particularly around the pronouns, um, and with the use of the sharp S, one of my favorite aspects of German, uh, because traditionally, um, you would use your sharp s for a s sound. However, that is now treated as two separate s's most of the time, which does mean you get some wonderful words like shostasa, uh, which will have three s's in a row, and then a sharp is s at the end. <laughs> so I'm I'm I quite like that personally. That doesn't mean that the sharp is s has gone away. Um, There are some words in which it has kept, so course, for example, remains the shafaz. S. But for those of you who teach in the UK system, I have actually checked this with a couple of exam boards and they are quite happy for you to teach however you think your students are best going to learn and your students will not be penalised. Please do check with your exam board before you uh, tell your students that. one of my my interests in language is the way that languages are different. A bit like the story I was telling about the door. You know, the French word porte, very similar to its word portail, which means gate, very similar to the English word portal, which is quite cool. You know, I like portals. I like thinking of a door as a portal to somewhere. And so the way that you you conceptualize your language shows a lot about the way you conceptualize the world around you. And one of the, the key aspects of that in German, uh, for those of you who don't speak German, is with time. And this can be very confusing both ways round, to be honest. Nadia has just joined me. Hallo Nadia.
4: Hallo. Wie geht's? Uh, okay, danke.
1: <laughs> gut, gut, gut. <laughs> ja, gut, danke. Sehr, sehr gut. <laughs> um, I'm sure Nadia will, Um, I hope Nadia will corroborate this, um, otherwise this is just me maybe being stupid. But um, when in English, obviously, when you say it's half nine, that means it's half past nine. But in German, if you would say half nine, that actually means it's half past eight, it's half two nine. And we do the same in Dutch as well. And to me, that was very confusing, going that way around as a, as a yeah. native English speaker. Was it the same for you learning English?
4: Yeah, definitely. It's also a point that I always make with the students mm. very early on, because it could lead to really great confusion. So when I first moved to the UK, <laughs> Um, I would maybe turn up to like a meeting like early or something, which is a good case because I think half eight for us would be like 7.30. Yes. So if somebody said, oh, let's hang out and like let's meet at the cafe at four, th- like at half
1: Half four. four? Yes,
4: <laughs> I'd be there like an hour earlier, three thirty or something.
1: Yes, so that was very confusing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I did the same, but but the worst way round. So one of my first times in the Netherlands, uh, my friend said to me, "Oh, you know, let's meet at uh, half vier. and so I was like, "Okay, fine, half four, but no, that's half three, <laughs> and so I was now late. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that's really cool. And, I, and again, I think I think that does say a lot about how we conceptualize time. The fact that, that Germanic speakers, Germanic thinkers are working towards, whereas we—and I say this, you know—as a native English speaker, and English is a Germanic language, but we're working away.
4: Yeah, it's
1: interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I think that's very cool. I think that's very cool. Um, just like English. German has words that can mean very, very different things, or the same thing but in slightly different connotations. So my year eight, for example, loved learning the word "groß" to mean tall is how I teach it, but it also means fat. And unfortunately, one of the resources that I used to use taught the word for fat. Now I've Uh, This actually would be an interesting show, I'm going to write this in my notebook, um, because I've had conversations with heads of departments about whether we should be teaching words like fat and skinny and ugly, and all of those, um, not necessarily pejorative, but negative words. And it's like, you know, when I teach cross, I teach it to mean tall, and I explain that it means big, and I kind of say it means big in all of the senses of big. And lots of the kids kind of make that connection without me explicitly saying it. Um, but it, it can then be quite easy to, unless you are clear with your intention, it can be quite easy to uh, to cause offence unintentionally. I'm trying to think of some English words where you can do that. And off the top of my head, none are coming to me. Um, but I'm sure I will interrupt myself if I think of any.
4: <laughs> Maybe something you'll come to us.
1: Absolutely, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. Uh, German is the only language that capitalises all of its nouns. Now, that was something when I learned German, I overextended that rule, and I assumed all Germanic languages did that. Um, And so when I started learning Dutch, I did it. And then to realise I was wrong by doing that was very interesting, because it does make German very unique in that way. And it's something um, something that my students get very confused about. I personally love it because I am somebody who thinks that students should know the words noun, verb, adjective, determiner, all of the vocabulary. And so by saying to my year eights, um, in my school year eight is when they start German, uh, by saying all of your nouns must have capital letters they need to think about what a noun actually is and so it really drills in that, um, that part of speech. But again Nadia, I'm interested from your perspective coming the other way around, was it difficult for you to get used to us not capitalising? All I,
2: think,
4: I think it was more the the difficulty wasn't that, because that was actually quite a nice starting point. Oh, because okay. You didn't have to worry about what was a noun, it was Oh, a,
1: interesting. A, yeah.
4: a, I think that there was twofold difficulties maybe going into it, which was that there are proper nouns that um, suddenly do have capital letters, Yes, and so that's kind of confusing. Yes, yeah. the rule outside the rule. <laughs> I didn't quite like. It's like no. subjects, for instance, you have to capitalize. Yeah. And then the the other thing is like sometimes when a verb looks identical to a noun. Yes. So that's quite difficult. Yes. So um, yeah. So yeah. that's what I had a bit of issue no, with that, That's really answer.
1: interesting. That's really especially about the verb that looks like a noun. That happens actually a lot in English. And I haven't really thought about it before. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Um, and again, it, it's these ideas with capitals that that show a lot about how a culture thinks about its, its words. Um, and those rules can be confusing. So my French learners, for example, you know, we teach them that you don't use a capital letter for days of the week or months of the year in French. But then I write the date on the board and I use a capital letter for the day of the week because it's the beginning of a sentence. <laughs> And so it's it's all of these things that, that, as a linguist, I and and Nadia, I know you, really find interesting. You know, we love these things. Um, but it is the stuff that our learners can find very difficult, you know, if they're not as infused by it as we are. Then I suppose it is part of our job to make them infused, to share that passion that it's we have. It's actually a good
4: point. I mean, like, it, it's hard to get that into them. Yeah. So I wonder whether you have a specific method you teach that to the year eights
1: um not particularly no for me it's just lots of repetition and reinforcement um so for example if i'm doing um this I'm doing family members and i've written on the board um i have two brothers and you know bruden is there with its capital letter um i will read it out i will translate it and then i will say why has bruden got a capital letter and i will wait for somebody to tell me because it's a noun um or i will i will do the the i have made a mistake where I write it up and I say, oh, I've just noticed that i got something wrong, who can tell me? And they will say, oh, Schwester should have a capital letter. Um, And, and so for me, it's just about making it, make, making the, the rule explicit and, and perpetually reinforcing it.
4: And um, over the years of teaching it, yeah. have you um, noticed a greater or lesser awareness of the kind of grammar terms, like noun and verb and adjective? is there-
1: I, like that. I quite like this format. I like people interviewing me. I think we should do this on the show <laughs> more often. <laughs> um, I think it, it's remained fairly stable over the last few years. Um, there is beginning now to be a greater shift towards students knowing them, and I put that down to the fact that the English curriculum has changed again, so they do now need to know them in English, uh, which is very helpful for, Good news us. for us. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it's. It's interesting because even adults don't always know these terms. I teach, um, I teach GCSE English to adults who didn't get their GCSEs in school. And one of, the, one of the most common things they say to me when they phone up is, Darren, what exactly is a verb? Because, you know, they may have done it when they were in year three, when they were eight years old, and then not mm-hmm. thought about it since then.
4: I think um, I've also got like an interesting point about the capital letters, like in German. Yeah, please. So I wonder if there is a greater kind of plea for Germans to drop capital letters in the long run as well with texting. Because I mean people have become very lazy Mm. in their text messages to swap to the capitals. Yes. And so I noticed that my German speaking friends would often just text me with like just no, okay. no punctuation basically. <laughs> yes. <That's, that's laughs> true yeah. But also very noticeable no capital letters. So I wonder if there's a shift in German language there as well. I
1: mean that's that's really interesting, isn't it? And and that could be true I suppose of, of all languages. Um, German would be an interesting one to see that because it is the punctuation, like you said, um, more so than the spelling. But you know you, you in English we have our text abbreviations, we have our text spelling. That um, especially our students are using more and more and more. And there have been times where I've explicitly had to explain to a student why it was inappropriate to use abbreviations in an essay, for example. Um, and so I think I think that's something that a lot of languages will be encountering maybe over the next 10 years, as like the current generation go into the workplace and are using the language. Would be interesting especially again because like I said German is the only language that does that with the capitals so
4: yes. for me it's also interesting is the shift happening quicker than it used to because there's more mm. written language and people have yes. more governing over it yes or whether it's slower because we've got these rules that maybe previous like few hundred years ago there wouldn't have been such set rules yes so that's an interesting the yeah. kind of like the change of the formalisation of
1: the yes. language. Yes, No. That, that's, that's also true, um, because I always say that for me, speaking a language is the most important thing, but actually I do find myself probably writing more German now than I did um, even through my A-levels, for example, because I'm texting, because I'm sending emails, I probably do write more German these days than I speak. Mm. Um, and so the written form is becoming more and more important Although as I was saying as you came in, the written form exists to to record what we are saying. You know, speech is first, writing is is second. And so I wonder whether I wonder whether maybe speech might change to represent how we write. Obviously, you're not gonna say capital letter before you you make that mm. that word, but I don't know. I, I think we are going to see a change. Um, I think, like I said at the top of the show, we're living through lots of major historical events right now. I think we are going to live through a couple of major language events mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it will be interesting to see how German, how German addresses that. Um, my other favourite thing about German, uh, when compared to the other languages that I speak, is that it has three grammatical genders, like Latin. Um, fans of the show, you guys know I'm a classicist. Um, I'm a Latinist, and so if I can make parallels to Latin, I will and I love I love love when we have three grammatical genders um and and I love that German is probably one of the ones that is least straightforward for me as a native English speaker in what is what noun is going to be which gender because there is that third category so I as I was saying uh, before I learned French as my first foreign language, which of course only has two genders plus plural. And so for me, it was right. okay, masculine, feminine, masculine, feminine, that's when I can learn that. And then I came to German, and I was like, oh, okay, I've got this third column, so now I've gone from a 50-50 chance of getting it right if I didn't know, to a 33.3% chance of getting it right if I didn't know. Um, and, and I loved that, and I hated it at the same time. Mm. <laughs> um, but the, the, the categories of words uh, are very interesting because, you know, you might say, oh, well, animals, for example, animals might just be in one gender. That would make sense. But they don't. They span all three genders. So um, der Hund, dog, is masculine. Uh, die Katze is feminine. Uh, which ties into something that I've noticed a lot of people think, because when I've spoken to people about this, they say, oh, well, when I was little, I thought that dogs were boys and cats were girls. <laughs> and so that kind of plays into that mindset. Uh, but then you also have, you also have uh, neuter nouns, so da stintia, uh, a skunk, a stinky animal is is neuter. Um, and so that is, you know, coming from a language that had no grammatical gender into a language that had two and then into a language that had three, I just found that fascinating. And all of the research, all of the science shows that in fact grammatical gender is the thing that native English speakers struggle with the most. There's been lots of cognitive science done around this, Um, and making that shift seems to be a thing that if you can get over the hump of that, then you're going to be okay. How did you feel again, going the other way around? So going from your native language, which not only had grammatical gender but had three, um, down to a language that doesn't have any, and of course I know that you speak French as well, so you had to get used to a language that has two, and and Spanish, which I believe also has two.
4: Um, well, it's interesting, I think. I mean, one of the things that people tend to not realize is that growing up in Austria, um, we, where, where we speak a strong dialect, and you were saying about dialects earlier, yeah. um, we actually had to really pick up our language ourselves. Um, okay. So, in, in primary school, we had to do a lot of drilling. Right. And that involved genders. Okay. So, it involved like you had to learn a noun with its proper gender. That's so because interesting. Because if you speak in Austrian, you wouldn't even, like in the dialect, you wouldn't type, sometimes even realise because we, don't, we don't, don't pronounce necessarily the whole part of the article.
1: Oh, okay.
4: So, um, yeah, so I, I often explain this like, to, to some <laughs> students that, that sometimes it's not recognisable. Yeah. So we, we say, for instance, in, in, we say da for masculine, Oh. da so, yeah. hund. Or we say they for for feminine. Oh, okay. so yeah. And we say this for neuter,
1: Wow, so okay. Des, des yeah. Yeah.
4: So it's not necessarily easy to pick them up. <laughs> and as a as a kid, when you first learn the proper spelling yes. of the articles, you you have to first get your head around that. So there's a lot of drilling in the first years of primary school. Okay. Where we have to say die katze. Their hunt, like so, we have to learn this. Yes, and it's like if you learn a new word, they'd introduce the article, like like we tend to do when we teach German yes. here to English people. Yeah. So for us, that's not the foreign concept. Okay. So when you first learn another language, um, like um, like French or something, I have to say that French was actually my fourth language oh, okay. at school because first it was. Obviously, German. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> because that's like a weird concept. as an Austria that that invokes a lot of learning. Yeah, no, I remember um, having people say "der," uh, "der," "das," "dem," "den," "der," "dem," die. Yes. Die. "die," "der," "der," "die." Yeah, and we do a different order, so it might yes. not be familiar to you. Yeah, no, that's we did. We did it in that same that's, order. Yeah. So we had to do that a lot. So, um so then my second language so after German was was English when I was, I think, ten. Okay and then the next language after that was latin oh. so for me actually it was more difficult to learn that the gender would be solely in the ending yes like so that that was really okay weird and that there wasn't an article so. yes yeah so that that's the weirder concept so when then as the next language, French was in, introduced, I was almost a bit glad yes. that there was something to <laughs> hold on to.
2: Yes. And there yeah.
1: was another, the neuter was gone. So that was nice.
4: <laughs> so I think that, that kind of made French a bit simpler.
1: Okay. See, that's really interesting. I and mean, it kind of ties into, to, again, what I say to the kids quite often, which is if you've got a couple of languages, you can then extend those rules over. So I, I was explaining that I did French and German at school. Um, I tried to learn Spanish but I couldn't get on with it, Um, I think because I wanted to make it French, Mm. and it it didn't. Mm. Um, And and one of the things that confused me about Spanish was in fact the lack of articles. Mm. Uh, No sorry, the lack of pronouns, sorry, the lack of pronouns. Um, But then I learned Japanese which also doesn't use pronouns, and to me that then made sense. Uh, And I think it was because I was encountering a completely foreign language, you Now I was using a whole new alphabet and everything, so to me I wasn't trying to pin what I thought I knew about language onto, onto that. So then when I came to Latin and we didn't have articles or pronouns, <laughs> I was just like, oh okay, that's fine, that works.
4: So maybe for me it was a good way around the Spanish was a lot one the latest yes dish, well latest is Russian <laughs> that's a whole <more> different <laughs> yeah, kettle of fish really but um but yes it was the, one of the later ones actually I only started learning Spanish when I had moved to the UK oh, okay. And after I'd done my PGC for teaching yeah and after I'd done just as personal interest really um because it was available it was something that I could access in in like the adult programs yeah. in Bristol, yeah. and so yeah, it was it was interesting. So I think it was like it was a blend of things that I've previously known, and um, so and, and yeah, I found it really interesting as well. I, yeah. I loved the mix of the, the differences of the languages I already had. Yes, there's like Latin elements in it. There's like a, a few French elements in it, and yeah, so so I really liked that. Yeah. so it was a really good good way of like learning yet another language. Yeah. But having said that, I mean, I think none of the languages are easier than others to learn. Fair enough. Because I think a lot of the time we have this proper, probably a misconception, yeah. but I don't want to devalue it. No, you know? no, of So course. If people do find it hard. But I think probably a, a misconception of German is the hardest. Yeah. Because I think they all are to some extent easy and mm-hmm. to some extent hard. Yeah. And we're also different, so yes. it's probably different things that different people yes. struggle with. So I feel like in in Spanish, um, it might be like me personally, like as you said, I, I struggled a bit with um, keeping it apart enough from French. A yeah. Bit. It was it was different in the pronunciation because you pronounce more parts of the word. Yes. So that was that was a bit easier for me than the French. Because that's one of the things that I struggled in French with. It's like, you drop endings. Yes. That was the weird concept (laughs) for me. You don't actually know exactly, until you've got your head around it, what people are exactly saying. Yes. It doesn't follow the script. No, not at all. So, um, so yeah, so so there's, there's differences in everything. So I think one of the things that we find when we teach German to beginners, we think it's actually quite an accessible language for beginners. 'Cause there's loads of cognates. Yeah. Um, the thing is that like once well, it is twofold actually, parts really easy for beginners. Yeah. And then later on, really good for advanced learners, yeah. Because once you get the head around the weird word order, <laughs> it's still schematic. It's yes. still same stays in the same yes. um way. Yes. And the way um the grammar is built, it's very repetitive. So you have the structure of a future with um, with the the future auxiliary and the um, infinitive at the yeah. end you use the same concept for modal verbs yes and then order the, or the past you have the the structure for the past, past participle at the end and you have the auxiliary at the like, second position and then that, that happens again for the past perfect yes so it's it's just really I think straightforward, actually. Yes. So that the tenses, which can be quite challenging <laughs> in some of the languages yes, that I've, I've learned, yes, um, I think are quite straightforward. Yeah. And that's quite pleasing for for students to learn after they've they've jumped the herd of the G- GCC. Yeah. So at A level, I think that's a real nice revelation for students. It's Absolutely. Like, wow! I've done basically the structures of the grammar. Yeah. I just need to I need to introduce one more auxiliary that I've already um, happened to see in the imperfect. Yes. So it's not nof- nothing new so that the amount of vocabulary you can use to actually have really sophisticated conversations. It's quite surprising to some people.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and it's it's kind of like I was saying before you came in um I'm teaching Key Stage 3 German this year but not any higher than that. And and actually I really like that. I really like working with the beginners at Key Stage 3 because my fav- the, the most complicated thing I think that I teach is the word because. Um, I teach the word weil. I know that I could teach da, which is easier, but I don't. I I want them to know. And for the non-German speakers in the audience, when you use the word weil for because in German, you move your verb to the end of your sentence. And what I like to do when I introduce that is take out a Lego model um, that I've made. It it can be anything. And I show them and I say, right, okay, I've made this piece, this, this model of Lego and I followed the instructions and it looks really nice. And now I take out some Lego blocks with my sentence on, and I make my sentence and I piece it, and I I show them that my verb piece of Lego is going to the end. And I say, I've now made my sentence out of Lego and it looks really nice. And if I just follow the instructions, it's going to look nice and it's going to make sense. And that seems to to resonate with them. Um, You know, and I then spend ages writing in permanent marker on Lego blocks <laughs> so that I can give them out to the kids and they can physically make their sentences. And then for some of them, it's actually quite helpful to get it wrong and then be able to pick up their verb and physically move it to the end. That, that kinesthetic way of doing it is, is really helpful to them. Um, and I think, I think you're absolutely right. If that is even just the most complicated thing I do in year eight, for example, that actually is something big for native English speakers to get their heads around. And in fact, anybody who speaks a Romance language is their first language to get their head around. That it does have to be so sort of fixed and that there are these places it must go. Um, but I think like even
4: um, even that's kind of Reassuring because it happens again and again yes. and again and again yes. with other words, yeah. and so eventually it becomes almost second nature if you actually deal with the language yes. on a daily basis. Yes, and I think even even things like what people are quite could be quite worried about in German, like the cases. Dare I say it? <laughs> it's something really like people maybe yeah. don't like them. Yeah. But even those sort of things, I think the longer we're teaching. Um, the more kind of ways we're finding to yeah. deal with that. So I, I, um, I am one of those sad teachers that has uh, dreams about school, <laughs> the positive ones, like not nightmares, <laughs> like actually like where I wake up and be, this is a revelation. <laughs> this is amazing. I have to try that in teaching. Brilliant. So one of the ways I mean, I'm, I'm, I deal, I'm dealing with um, the dative and the ac- mm. accusative, is I had once this dream where there's there's one of the things, like if people don't know what a dative and an accusative is, we, we, we might deal with it in a moment. Yeah. But one of the things is like a dative is uh, used for location. Okay. And an accusative is used for destination. Right. So I had this dream that I, and I saw it visually in front of me that dative in German has the word atin. Ah, so it's called dative. Nice. So at if. Whereas the word accusative, you can actually say it, like violate it a bit and say actusative. So it's going to somewhere. Nice. So, and that really helps students. Yeah. Because that sort of visualization of the word and what it does. So that's quite a nice thing. So I think you can take a bit of the fear away when you make jokes like that. Yes. if the (laughs) accusative, and it's not accusative, but you can do that. Yeah. You can be your own kind of like, creative person, yes. how to explain yourself the grammar. So I think that's also really interesting because I'm sure you do that. You invite students to come up with um, suggestions Absolutely. of how they learn it. Yes. And every year you learn something new about mm. the language you teach it Yes. Because another person has a different access to it yes. and explains it in a really good way. Yeah. So I think that's also something really valuable. Like acknowledge that it might be a challenge to yeah. learn it, but invite the students to really think about it. Yes. I mean that's that's also a good thing because it shows that language learning is a valuable skill yes away from the language learning 100%. because you think about thinking yes that's the so 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 I love inviting students voices and sharing them and telling like it, them telling them to me yeah so I can use them again and I think it's really fascinating it, it's but after so many years of teaching you know yes. been in this you know environment for years and years like, <laughs> No, no, I've been at this school for 10 years, I must be like 15 years at least or something yeah. of teaching yeah. and every year somebody has something interesting to add. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it.
1: It is, it is. My, my students, bless some get a bit sick of me saying to them, I can't learn this for you. Mm. Um, but, but that's the truth, I can't learn it for them. So they can be creative and they should be creative. If If there is anything that helps that information to stick until it becomes second nature, they absolutely should use it really should. So that was really interesting, thank you very much, but Nadia you've been, we've been engaging now for about half an hour, um, mm-hmm. but I haven't really introduced you. <laughs> <laughs> Too interesting to talk about language. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but again, again isn't, isn't that wonderful? And, and isn't that something that that is the joy of, of our subjects, and I'm sure for everybody, is that we are so enthusiastic, that you do love it and I love it, and, and that we get to share that with the kids. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, and, and I think, you know, we get, we're get we told that we must motivate, we must inspire, and I, I do actually believe that that comes from the kids. I, I think if there is a learner who does not want to learn, you will not shift them. But I do think if you've got any learner with an inkling of interest mm. then our enthusiasm can be contagious
4: it's like an interesting thing though because like i think ever so often well a lot of the times actually we do get people who are resistant to learning yeah and we do get them t- to have a different access to it because i think sometimes they don't want to learn it's a preconception that's a bit fair that's that might be coming from all sorts of backgrounds. Like yes. we, we don't know what the hangups are. No, that's true. And that's so they very often true. come with this sort of like, I don't want to learn a language. Why do I need a language? Yeah. So I think like often we have to kind of put a different perspective on things. So one of the things that I'm really enthusiastic about is the cultural side. Mm-hmm. So um, I really want them to find something that they enjoy about the language. Yes. Without it, necessary constantly having to focus on the language, yes. and I think that puts a bit of pressure on the kids yeah. because they know that they can listen to German music without needing to understand the yeah. lyrics because it's useful to get into the pattern of yeah. the language, into the the mil- melody of the language. Yes. So I think I often like I, I created a Spotify account from my school. Oh It's nice. Like Wycliffe underscore German is the Spotify account and there's like 18 playlists and the students have asked me what genres I could add. So there's like German musical theatre uh there's German Disney songs. Amazing. So, like, so it's really good. Um, so And they come back and they say, oh, I love this. And they sing the Disney songs because, I mean, we're, we're digressing again, but they learned I, something about me actually in this interview because the way I learned English for the first time is I found it a bit I found it a bit slow in the first year okay. and I knew I found that that language very interesting. So after the first year of learning it, I went away in the summer holidays and I engaged with the language in a, in a personal level. Yes. So I, I, um, I found an old videotape <laughs> um, of um, Ariel the Mermaid. And I was taken, so I was quite young.
1: Yeah.
4: And I was listening, like it was, it was in English, I found it at the flea market. Oh, wow. And I was listening to the songs and learning them by heart. Yeah. And um, I didn't know what they meant. And I didn't even have the opportunity to look at the lyrics, so like, <laughs> it was not. It wasn't like no. nowadays. Kids are so lucky. Yes, it, they it really know luck. it. So
1: are. <laughs>
4: and, um, and so yeah, I, I used to like. I, I can still do this. Like you know, look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? You know. Yeah. so I can still know these things um, because because I learned it in after my first year of learning um, English. And so I think this is so important because the kids can can legitimately go away and say. When I was a kid, I liked Frozen, so I'm going to learn the Frozen yes. songs or that sort of thing. So I think finding something that is relevant to them might open their portal <laughs> yeah, into language nice, learning. Nice. Yeah,
1: yeah I, I agree with you completely. Um, I'm, I'm a hesitant to say this because I know that we, we do have lots of German teachers in the audience. German is probably the language that I speak that I engage with the least of all of them. Um, As I said at the top, I have nine languages, I can't split my time evenly between all of them. And unfortunately, because German is the one that I don't necessarily need to a very high level, it is the one that in my personal revision time, I suppose, does get left behind. But at the end of the summer, um, and uh, friends of the show will know that I am a fan of the Queer Eye format, um and at the end of the summer, Queer Eye Germany dropped on Netflix UK. Oh,
4: cool.
1: um, It was only six episodes, and so I, I binged them across a week. I did one a day, and that really reminded me of how much I love the German language. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of reignited in me that interest that that I that I've always had, but that I sometimes have to put away so that I can focus on the ones that you know my students need me to be able to do to a much much higher level. And and I think I think that's. That, that reminded me of exactly what you've just said that we need to get these kids to, to know that you don't learn a language for a language's sake, unless you're a language geek mm-hmm. like you and I are, yeah. but, but to do things with it, to watch shows, to listen to music, to chat and, to um, people.
4: And I think it's also maybe some of the students, so I, I help them finding these things out. They might not, they might be technology wizards <laughs> yeah. um, compared to us in some ways, but we sometimes have to remind ourselves that. Some things don't just come natural to them. Yeah. So you you mentioned like like an, an account for Netflix, but all the other platforms as well. Yes. They might not be aware that they can change their profile into German. Yeah, and then they can select any program they want in different languages. Yeah. So my, my son, for instance, he watches Paw Patrol in German. Okay. Or my my daughter, like uh, well, both of them actually are Peppa Pig fans. They watch this in German. So. It's it's. I think it's maybe something that the kids don't realize. They don't have to necessarily engage with something new no. that's foreign to them. They can start <laughs> with something that they're already comfortable with. Yes. They already know the plot line. They don't really have to think about what's going on. Yeah. And that, that that's really good. And they can pop on. Like they can maybe listen to it in English but have a German subtitle. Yes. Or the other way around. Yes. Um. It, it sometimes annoyingly the subtitles don't really match mm. up, which no. is a shame because they're generated for the for the. Native language content. Yes. So that's a bit of a shame, but it still helps because they still can focus on what's going on in the language. Absolutely. So that's quite nice. Um, and and of course, there's great shows that are in German as well. And but for instance, when I had to reintroduce French into my life when I came to England and I did my PGC and yeah. in, in the first like schools, I had to teach German and French. I um I watched all the Friends in French. Okay. And I thought that was really good because yeah. I knew the content. I had seen it in German. I had seen it in English. Why not in French Absolutely. as well? Absolutely. And and so that was really good. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think there is all sorts of ways to to help the kids to access all of this stuff. I still, and in fact, I was talking to another call. I I talk to my colleagues all the time. i try that I talk to my colleagues more than I actually talk to kids, to be honest. (laughs) Uh, But I was talking to another colleague the other day about how difficult it can be when you're either out of the native language country or you're teaching a language that is not your native language to stay up to date with trends and social media. Because what I really want to do for all of my students is recommend them vloggers to watch, recommend them Twitch streams to, to look at. Um, but that can be really difficult because, of course, I'm a native English speaker none of my foreign languages are my native language. And so, again, it, it's finding the time for me to go and explore these things and these, these people um, so that I can then recommend them to the students. But I do think because, like you said, the, the kids are so lucky with what they have access to, if we can find different ways to facilitate that and you know, create Spotify accounts to introduce them to artists, collate playlists, then maybe that is a good mm. use of our time.
4: And also I think it's like something when you say, finding the time to do something is, is really hard. So sometimes I schedule myself, this is going to be a Sunday morning breakfast where I listen to new German music. Ah, uh, Nice. And um, the, a good starting point is like, which songs are popular at the moment? Yeah. Or ever so often, like every, at least once in your night, but probably even twice or three times, I have a thing where I do the charts mm-hmm. and um, so we look at the website and we look how they can find the videos and we evaluate and the kids it's it's not just that so we also uh, build some language into it so they have to give opinion they have to compare Perfect. to the good skills been, it's I like so and so more so ich, ich, ich finde um, dieses lead besser als dieses lead nice. and so it's a really nice way of, of actually bringing language into a relevant context, yeah. And I do say the charts, but it's kind of I also look for alternative funds mm-hmm. because I think it's a real important thing not to just do the commercialization of things. Yeah. So there, there is people that are already popular. Yes. They're probably they're popular a lot of the time for a reason, good yeah. reason. Yeah. But but sometimes maybe there's also a big push or big financial help. For them. Yeah. So I also do like on, on my Instagram account, for instance, on, on Wicked underscore German in Instagram. Yeah. I do promote um also some smaller bands. Oh, so nice. I do, I do look out for wh- which bands are there or like if the Goethe Institute recommends something. A, a couple of years ago, just before lockdown, we actually went to see a German band in England. Oh, wow. With our students. So that was a really good. Um, event, and they had a very German name, Portmuller, and <laughs> nice. they loved it, it was really rocky, and again it was just a really lively event, so I look out for things like that that's cool. on platforms, on, on English uh, and UK-wide promoters of languages mm-hmm. and what they put out there, yeah. so it's also something yeah. to kind of keep a balance between the mega stars, yes. but also the emerging, <clears throat> yes. and, and the people who who have talent but might not be recognised.
1: Yeah, that's that's so cool. That's so cool. Because it can be good for the the students to see, particularly with, you know, with indie bands or with the people who haven't made it yet, that they're like them. You know, we've got students who are aspiring sports stars, pop stars, whatever it might be. And and so, you know, they can look at these people and go, Oh, there's that commonality here. We both love music. The only difference is the language that we're speaking. And actually I'm bridging that difference by learning your language. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool. And I think it's I think with German, it can be quite hard to find those things naturally. So, you know, Spanish teachers were very lucky that Encanto was so popular. Um, and, and Coco before that, and you know, Disney, of course, because it's an American corporation, of course, it, it pushes the Hispanic. And and I'm pleased for them that they have that. You are
4: hoping for a revival of the fairy tales. Yes, <laughs> yes. I
1: think there should be. I think there should be. I'm sure that uh, that my friend Tim, who I interviewed about children's literature a few weeks ago, would would agree with that because you know the Kinder House Märchen are, are perfect. They are such good stories, um, and unfortunately we tend to move away or, or we gloss over the fact that they are Germanic in origin. The you know the, the Brothers Grimm ones. Um,
4: yeah, I mean a lot of the I think we've been They managed to do it really well to actually bring the cultural side into it. Yes, I think. Um, there is a lot of Disney films actually that are based on German fairy tales yeah, already, yeah. but I think they didn't like capitalize on that. No. maybe because the culture back then wasn't the in culture. Fair. So maybe that's why. But but there is a lot of them out there, isn't there? That mm-hmm. is that have a German background. Oh, well, the Brüder Grimm. Yes, exactly. So, so maybe eventually it comes around to that cycle, cycle yes. again. But I mean, I don't want to actually um, deflect from from the. Importance of actually bringing South American cultures no, not into at all. our lives so as well because I think it was a lot of the time it was like Europe centric. Yes, and I do like the fact that it's more globalized yes. these days. Yeah, so no, I absolutely. Do, and like, I love Encanto myself. I, I do
1: as well, to be honest. I do. <laughs> um, you know, the South America has always fascinated me. I loved. I remember doing uh, the Aztecs and the Incas as a project mm-hmm. in Year Five when I was at primary school. It was all project based learning, we did the Aztecs and the Incas, and it it was mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do I do love that culture. And of course, it's so important for all children mm. to see themselves reflected mm. in popular media. Mm. Um, I think you right, I've just double checked so that I didn't make a mistake, um, but Schneevich and Snow White is a Brothers Grimm fairy tale. The, it was the first feature length Disney film, of course, in 1937, mm. so I think mm. the timing of that one mm. probably deflected yeah. from its German-ness. Yeah.
4: You probably have to double check as well, but I wonder if Tangled is maybe. Rapunzel, based on yes, Rapunzel is, um,
1: um, is German, isn't it?
4: But uh, but yeah, so I find it quite quite fascinating. And, and of course, I go back to a point that I made earlier mm-hmm. with Encanto, you, you can watch it in a dubbed version. Yeah. You can watch it in a synchronized yeah. version and, and get the songs in German and Spanish and English. Yeah. And I think that's quite a nice multi-dimension. You know, Absolutely. any language there is. It's yes. fascinating. Sometimes you find really cool uh, clips on, on YouTube where yeah. they merge like a song yes. into different languages, yes. and I love that. I think there's a frozen one. Isn't there, there is, yeah. Yeah, yeah there, there are a few frozen. Let my, It Go or something, I think, that exists. Yes.
1: Yeah. My favorite is, um as you know, I'm a Dutch speaker, my favorite is the Let It Go that merges Dutch and I think it's Frisian. Mm-hmm. Um because they're quite similar, but Frisian is also very similar to English. And so that's fascinating to listen yeah. to and, and hear that. So
4: there's that. And I think that's really interesting for kids to know like yeah. how different languages are. And also, I mean, let's not um shy away from saying kids can delve into learning any language later on in life. Yes. And I think that's the thing. Whichever language you learn early on in life is gonna help you access another foreign concept. Yes. And so you saying Frisian or you saying Dutch, that's not something we, we tend to teach no. at school. But kids might yeah. want to find out and should, and there's good reasons for Yeah. or they might go in a country where they have to use it as their working language. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's so important to not reduce the hours of languages, yes. and to not kind of stomp it out of the curriculum, yes. and, and give it its rightful place. Yes. And so I think that's really important, because also, there might be kids actually with, with backgrounds um, in, in different languages. So like for instance, yesterday I talked to somebody, um, a student who is Slovakian, half Slovakian, oh, wow. but didn't manage to pick it up okay. uh, bilingually from the parent and, and is really interested in it. And I think learning a language at school will really help her with them picking up the yes. the mother tongue in this case. Yes. So I think that's, that's a really, really interesting thing. Um,
1: absolutely, and and I will say, particularly for our non-linguists in the audience, it is never too late. So Nadia says that you can pick up a language when you've left school, and that's absolutely true no matter how old you are. Um, so you know, holding up my hands and, and recognising that I'm a linguist, that that just is how my brain works, and that I had already fluency in Japanese before I started, I learned Mandarin when I was 31. That was when I started to learn Mandarin. Um, my school a course, because we have a big um, cohort of Chinese students and they wanted somebody to be able to teach the A level. So essentially, I was learning it so that I could teach it. Kind of like you said about learning a new language for your work in life. Um, and honestly, I don't think I found it any more difficult than I found learning French and German when I was at school. Um, time, yes, but in terms of the actual cognitive load, in terms of, of the actual learning, I don't think it was. So, you know, I will if you don't speak German, please learn German. You know, it, it it's not too late. And I know that you will hear this from linguists all the time, but it the science does prove that it delays Alzheimer's. There are lots of cognitive benefits to being a linguist. Um we're gonna live forever. <laughs>
4: <laughs> learn loads more Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so we've we've talked a lot about um like students, which is which is perfect, you know, as teachers, we do, we do centre them. Um, I would like to spend a couple of minutes just talking about German as a subject in England, because, of course, the the, the conversation we you and I have had this conversation quite a lot over the years. And I think as a, as a community of German teachers, we are concerned with uh, what can be seen as very low uptake in German specifically. Um, I have pulled up the stats. Um, and in for the 2022 exam sitting, this is from the um, Education Data Lab analysis of JCQ data. It isn't the information I have doesn't split between GCSE and A level. Um, I'm assuming this is lumped together. But uh, in for the 2022 sitting, we had 36,327 students take German papers. That's compared to 50,271 in 2016, Mm. so our numbers are dropping. Um, The good news, interestingly, is that there is not a huge difference in the gender split anymore. Um, German actually has been one of the lowest um, gender split subjects, but the the gender split for this year was negligible, which I, I find really interesting. Uh, again slightly higher for girls than boys but negligible Um, but what i like my favorite thing about all of this data is that 35.6 percent of students scored a grade 7 or an a or above in 2022 compared to 22.8 percent in 2016. That's encouraging for me. 83.8% of students scored a grade four or a C or above. And for me, as somebody who thinks a lot about why should our students choose German, you know, because we part of our job is to encourage our students to take our subject. We think it's important because we love it. But for the students who are not language people why should they do it those results are quite encouraging for me because you know we do have this incline we do have the vast majority of people passing mm-hmm. uh, which I think is is really positive so the, the the decline is unfortunate I don't I don't know why have you got any any ideas I
4: think we can always throw in the world brexit I suppose mm-hmm. we can always kind of see that people, Probably believe they needed less and less, so I think I think that's probably one of one of the reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah, we we don't really have this sort of culture where we think that the languages are most well True. not we but like in yes. the country. Yes. Uh, it's it's not something that that's that's kind of put in our minds. Yeah. As, as a thing to study. Yeah. So I think that that's the sort of like official reasons yeah. I guess that, that are quoted and I think there is a grain of truth in there. Okay. Um that is the case. But do you have any do you have any kind of ideas yourself?
1: No, I I, I sometimes wonder whether it's kind of like a vicious cycle. Mm. Um I wonder whether parents because on the whole in my experience parents do want to be engaged with their children's education. They want to help. And so I wonder if if a child has, for example, the choice between French and German for GCSE, and the parent did French because that was the only language on offer, whether maybe they would promote that the child does French because they could help.
4: Yeah, sometimes like the where we where we teach in this area, sometimes also like holidays in Spain are very popular. so I guess it's a popular holiday country. So they think about the leisure. And maybe less about the yeah. kind of world of work that it would open to them. Yeah. So that could be a reason as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, there is. But I
4: think like there is there is certainly like it certainly should have an important place yes. on the curriculum. I think it's like reflecting back on the British heritage absolutely um, is a really good starting point for German yeah. because I don't think we should rid ourselves in the country of something as Historically, forming a yeah. nation as, as as a German influence.
1: Exactly, so I think
4: that's something really, really valuable about German.
1: Yes, yeah. And I think
4: as as people get older, <laughs> um, like I, I see it in myself. You have more interest in where we come yes. from, and um, I think I think students at a young age often don't reflect where do we come no. from, what is our heritage, and I think something that i've seen now that i engage a lot with the the social media platforms because i want to get the students into what's current in germany what's current in switzerland and austria like i I also look at Liechtenstein. like i look at like where the language is spoken and what's current there not just not just germany and um looking at that i think one of the things that seems to be really interesting for me is that there is pockets in america mm-hmm. where they're really proud of their german heritage Fantastic. and then german language learning yeah. and cultural immersion is really celebrated yeah so they have like mini versions of oktoberfest yes or they have like mini um, like they have like pretzel competitions or nice. that sort of thing so i find it really interesting that that works very well in, in America in some places, yes. and lots of universities with societies, yes. German societies, and so I find that really encouraging and I think maybe that's sort of a model that we could aspire to in the UK because that reinforces your who you are yes. and where you're from. Yes,
1: absolutely. I, I make this point about French so often, you know, that we were invaded in 1066 by the Normans, so French is part of English, but actually German is, is more a part of of Britain mm. because you know I pay tribute to the Queen at the top of the show but the Queen herself was part German. Mm. The House of Windsor is the house of saxe coburg got and and it, it's only because George V made the proclamation that he was changing his name to Windsor again probably because of the political climate at that time that that German influence has gone away. Mm. Um, you in fact showed me the clip yesterday of Prince Harry yeah. speaking German um, at his um, Invictus Games speech in in Düsseldorf Mm. so you know it is part they are
4: aware of their heritage yes and proud of
1: it yes yes Yes. and that you know that is part of we talk about in school promoting british values that is part of being british is the fact that our royal family has german heritage Mm. and it's it's wrong to to ignore that and we can celebrate it as part of our british values i feel
4: yeah definitely so I think it's got it should it should always have a huge place in our curriculum and in our hearts. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely, absolutely. German is just it's just a fascinating language um, for me. You know, I said I said earlier that it's the one, unfortunately, that I have the, the least amount of time to to practice. Um, and you and I still need to sit down and figure out when we're going to get our language exchange weekly <laughs> yeah. session in.
3: Um,
1: <laughs> And, and, and I do regret that I don't have the time that I would like to devote to German because it... I'm going to say that it's a beautiful language. I know many people would disagree with me uh, because I know to many people it sounds very harsh, um, but I, I think it is I think it is a beautiful language to, to hear. I think it's such an inclusive language. Mm. Um, quite interestingly, it's the language that I have found easiest to begin to introduce non-binary, gender queer gender questioning vocabulary into compared to the others. Um, I have I had a student who uh, presents non-binary, so I had to find what the non-binary pronouns were in French and in German for them, and it was much easier to find in German than it was in French. I um, think they strive to be,
4: more and more and more inclusive. Yes, it's a beautiful thing about the German culture. The Willkommenskultur is not yeah. just extended to people immigrating, it's also extended to the whole like you know, you have to feel welcome here. Yes, if you're born here or if you're not from here. So I find that really beautiful in Germany. So, so um, it's good that you found the same.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And, and where where sometimes language can create barriers because you just turn around and say, oh, well, there isn't a word for that. Um, and, it, you know, it's not always a negative barrier. There, there isn't in, in Chinese, there isn't particularly a word for male gaze, which is a word that I need at A-level. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, that was a barrier to my teaching until I got around it. So where, where there can be barriers with language, it's, it's nice when you find the places that actually the portal is open and and the students can just walk on through and, and, and thrive. Nice, yeah. <laughs> nice ellipsis. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Right. I think we've come full circle. So I am going to say, danke sehr, danke schön. Okay. It was so I am so happy that you you came on the show today. I kind of didn't ask you any of the questions that I <laughs> sent you. <laughs> but that's
4: beautiful. How like uh, conversations evolve.
1: Absolutely. Right? absolutely and for me that's what Teachers Talk Radio is all about it you know I, I like my guests I wanted you to be comfortable so I wanted you to know what to expect but you know the fact that we can just sit and talk and you as a teacher are clearly so passionate about German um, even though we, uh, we do have time for me to kind of drop you in there and for me to point out that German was not the subject originally that you were going to teach <laughs> uh,
4: Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. I was gonna teach English in Austria. Yeah. I trained as a teacher in Austria to teach English and history. But um, it's just as beautiful to teach German, actually yeah. it turns out. Yeah. You know, it's, just, yeah. it's
1: just as fun. Yes, and, and I think that is a privilege that we have as, as language teachers, is that we don't just have one subject. We've got as many subjects as there are languages. And if we want to go out and learn a language so that we can teach it, like I did with Chinese, we absolutely can do that.
4: And our subjects is so like we, we have so many subjects within the subjects yes. we teach historical aspects. Yes. We teach, you know, geographical aspects. Yes. We teach basically all that's on the curriculum we do. in our language we as do. well. So yes. it's really you can never get bored really.
1: No, no, you really can't you really can't. I remember doing an English literature module as as part of one of my undergraduate degrees and, and as I was sitting in lectures I was thinking if I'm a language teacher, when am I ever going to use this?" But then of course they brought literature back into the A yeah. level and I use it all of the time. So it's so many skills and, and I, I guess it's like we were saying before, with the kids being able to go off and find the different things that they're interested in, we can do the same in our subject and it's, it's an amazing thing.
4: And actually it fosters like research,
1: like thrive yeah. for knowledge at a young age. Yes, yes. Yeah. Nadia, thank you so, so much. I'm going to have to have you back on the show, I think, (laughs) because I I feel like we could keep going. uh, (laughs) Ending.
4: It's okay.
1: (laughs) Unfortunately, we do have to go so that uh, we can be ready for Joe to come on and do the lunch show. That's at one o'clock. Please do join in. Thank you so much to both Nadia for coming and to all of you for listening. I have had a great week. I hope that you have a great week and I will see you for breakfast next Saturday. Goodbye.